Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed, and do what Jesus did. stand up just for a second and stretch out. We're almost done, I promise. I just want to share a few thoughts with you. First of all, um, Miss Rayanne Randalls, where are you? So Rayanne, uh, she preached to the younger kids every night. And I walked up to her afterwards. I'm like, Rayanne, I have never had the honor of hearing you teach before. And she goes, I've never done it before. <laughs> <laughs> she was so good, so articulate, so engaging. I just wanted to, to recognize you for that. And I, I had you stand just because I know I can be long-winded. I want you to stretch real quick so you guys can have a seat if you'd like. Um, did you know that more people fear public speaking than fear death? Did you know that? So if you go to a memorial... The person giving the eulogy, statistically, is more afraid than the one in the box. Yeah. So, Rayan, you did a fantastic job, and I wanted to thank you very much for, uh, for stepping out of your comfort zone. And um, one of the things that they put me in charge of is, is choosing the preachers for the high school camp. And those, those kids, they're, they're more receptive than you could have ever imagined. So I don't put anybody in those slots that aren't heavy hitters. As a matter of fact, I don't have anybody preached to them that I wouldn't have preached to you. So I wanted to recognize Olivia Ward, Jeremiah Fireball, and Aaron Jones for preaching those sessions. And I wanted to tell you the, the story, um, at least what I know of it. Uh, I got a phone call about a week before camp, and they told me that there were two young ladies that wanted to be baptized at camp. And we have never baptized at camp before, so they, you know, they needed to put the processes in place. They needed to get things ready um, to baptize two young ladies. And, uh, of course, we'll baptize at camp. Um, but when they got down to the pool, they ended up baptizing 21 students. And three parents. So from, from time to time, we believe that there's just like this, this Holy Spirit residue that flows from one thing into another. So we felt prompted to open the baptistry this morning. So what, I, what I'd like to you, I want to share something just quickly with you. Um, and I'd like to invite Miss Rebecca uh, up to, to play keys. And I want to just get the gospel right, and then I want to invite anybody that would like to be baptized this morning to be baptized. So if you just give me uh, just a second. Go to John chapter 4. How many of you are joining Camp Sunday? Is it good? It gets better every year. And Jen Porter, media, photography, absolutely fantastic. And Brooke was our photographer. How can you catch so many smiles unless they made it easy? Yeah, <laughs> they, they love the, all right. All right, John chapter four. Um, we're going to go there in just a second. I, I, 
I was, I'm not going to preach a message. I just want to put something in close perspective for us. If you're, if you're on the fence, if, if maybe, how about this? How many have ever been close to God and then you got distracted and got far away from God? And you realize that the priorities aren't necessarily where they're supposed to be. Maybe you don't feel committed. I want to tell you a secret about the gospel. Jesus is never the one that leaves, right? He promised he will never leave you or forsake you. But it is very easy when you start putting things in perspective to realize that maybe you haven't been where you need to be. I've been in places, and I'm not going to tell you how recently this was. When I was so busy with ministry that I saw that my time in my office was up and I had somewhere else to go. And I saw that I only had 10 minutes left in my day. And my intention when I went to my office was worship and prayer and word, but I had administrative things to do and I had preparation and I was editing a book. And I saw that there was 10 minutes left. When I saw that there was 10 minutes left, I just started crying and I said, Jesus, I miss you so bad. It's more recently than I'd like to admit. And I've been faithfully pursuing Jesus for 14 years and recently I've had my priorities amiss so if there's ever a time that you felt like that and you just felt like it was a day to recommit or you just needed to hear that gospel again I want to remind you of that gospel how many of you have ever been been in a church where they teach you how to pursue Jesus right They teach you all of the things that you can do to get closer to God. You read the Bible to get closer to Jesus. You sacrifice to get closer to Jesus. You worship to get closer to Jesus. You do all of these things to get closer to Jesus. You pursue him. You come to know him. You come to find him. And when reality, they're not giving you the gospel. They're giving you prostitution. That's not the gospel story. The gospel story is that he pursued you. He sacrificed for you. He bankrupt heaven on your behalf so that he could come get you. He, he came to know you. He loved you. It was about what Jesus did to come make his home in you and not anything about what you could do for him. If I had to title this moment, it would be called Grace and Truth. And there's something that it says about Jesus that always caught me by, uh, by surprise, I guess, that this could be something that humans could actually do, is be full of grace and truth, okay? Let me, let me make that make sense. How many of you feel like sometimes you have a grace and truth like meter? Kind of slides, right? The less you know about something, the kinder you can be. If you see somebody standing on a street corner and they still have their their needle hanging out of their arm, they didn't steal from you, right? They didn't put their kids in your house. You don't know them, but you're a a well-meaning church person, so what do you do? You pull over, you ask them if they need any money, you share the gospel with them, you hug them, right? They've never hurt you. You don't have much truth regarding them, so your truth meter's low, so your grace meter can be high. You know what I'm talking about? Right, But then the people that you live with, sometimes you know way too much about them, so you're not willing to extend this much grace to them. Right? You can, you can imagine their motive. You can say, you told me that I looked pretty today, but that means that I didn't look pretty yesterday? Like, the more you know about somebody, the less grace that you're able to extend towards them. The sad thing about that is what happens is that actually permeates your view of God. The fact that God is all-knowing to some people is the most terrifying attribute of His nature. That means there's nothing you have ever done that he doesn't know about. There's not a thought that you have ever thought that he didn't hear. There's not a word that you have ever said that he's not aware of. And for some of us, that makes us shake in our boots, right? 
but he's full of grace at the same time that he's full of truth. And he does these things to let us know that if he's pursuing you, he's not pursuing you because he's an idiot and he doesn't know you. He's pursuing you because he desperately loves you in spite of anything that you've ever done or anywhere that you've ever been. How many of you ever heard of the woman at the well? Right? She's my girl. Honestly, I had, I had like an encounter it was a, I don't remember now. It's been so long ago. I don't know if it was a dream or a vision. It's, uh, I, it, it's, something told me that this girl's story needs redeemed. Because every time I've ever preached about her, this woman at the well, I always said that she was the kind of girl that you don't take home to mom. Right? Because it said she's been married five times, and the guy that she's with now is not her husband. Like, what kind of woman does that sound like to you? Well... It doesn't matter what it sounds like to you. We have to see this through the lens of Jewish culture because I'll tell you what kind of woman she was. Probably a lot like you. You might be able to identify with this woman in way more ways than you ever thought possible because most of the time we pass her off as somebody that might be promiscuous or can't get her life together, right? She's had five husbands. In Western culture, the kind of woman that has five husbands we usually don't want to talk about. But the fact is, Jesus was well aware of her five husbands and didn't care. He still wanted to give her life. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. So let me tell you about this woman. The reason that Jews wouldn't commingle, they wouldn't fellowship with Samaritans, is because Samaritans tried to act like Jews when they weren't in the lineage of Abraham. So they pretended they were Jews. They followed Jewish laws, and the only way that you can be a Jew is to be a descendant. Jews are a family, they're a lineage part of the lineage, but they wanted to follow the custom. So in Jewish custom, do you know what happened? Mm, Sometimes this gets me in trouble, but can I tell you the truth about biblical divorce so you can understand this passage? It's just the Bible. I'm telling you what I read. This isn't new, newfangled, modern, postmodern Christianity. This is Bible, okay? There were two kinds of divorces in the Old Testament. There was a certified divorce and an uncertified divorce. The difference was a piece of paper, okay? So you have to look at that through, you have to understand that whenever you hear God talking about divorce in the scripture. Because if a woman commits adultery, it makes her an adulterer and she's not allowed to remarry, right? And that's the only kind of divorce that we talk about. And then we say that you're not allowed to get a divorce unless your spouse is being unfaithful. So they can be beating the tar out of you and you have to stay. Does that sound like the father? No, it sounds like garbage. So let me tell you what the the scriptures actually say, okay? So... A certified divorce, according to the scriptures, is that if a woman has not found favor in the, in the sight of her husband, she can request a certificate of divorce. That certificate of divorce allows her to find a husband that loves her. He presents this certificate to her, says, I was unloved in my last marriage. God desires for me to find love from a man. This certificate is going to show you why I won't be able to produce a consummation garment on our wedding night, okay? I'm going to use big words so little ears don't understand, okay? In Hebrew culture, you consummated the wedding after the marriage, and that meant the husband and wife went into chambers, they consummated the marriage. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yep, adult talk, okay? And then they would have to bring the consummation garment out to prove that she had never laid with another man before. If they couldn't produce a consummation garment, they took the wife immediately outside of the city gates and they stoned her to death. Okay, 
So this woman being a Samaritan, if she has had five husbands, if we don't understand Jewish culture, then we would think that she had been unfaithful to five men. But the thing is, if she would have been unfaithful to one man, she'd have been dead. Okay? So please let God rewrite her story in your heart. What happened to her is she thought she found love five times. And five times she had been rejected. Five times she had been neglected. Her story sounds more like yours than you thought, doesn't it? Now, this woman who needed desperately to find satisfaction in something, to find love from someone, has been issued certificates of divorce from five people. They said, yeah, I don't like you anymore. Get out of here. On to the next husband. She got married, assuming that she would be embraced, loved, and protected again, only to find the same cycle of dissatisfaction take place one more time. Husband number two, yeah, sure, here's a piece of paper. Get out of here. I don't like you. A third time, here's a piece of paper, get out of here, I don't like you. A fourth time, a fifth time, the fifth time, fool me once, shame on me, fool me five times, I'm never getting married again. So now she's with a guy and she refuses to commit. She's built walls. How many of you know what that's like? How many of you have been through so much pain, so much regret, so much anger, so much hostility that you're just like, I'm done, I'm not even going to try anymore? Your story sounds a lot like hers, doesn't it? We all thought she was a... Man, I can't use any words on Church Sunday. We all thought she was promiscuous. She's not. She's neglected. She's abused. She's hurt. And she needs restored. So the seventh man steps on the scene with love and grace. Come on, man. Jesus needs to go through Samaria. Do you realize that he's traveling with a bunch of Jews that literally walk four hours out of their way to avoid Samaria? And he says, bros, we're going straight through because there's a well there. There's a woman coming there that's drawing at an hour, listen to me please, where other women don't draw. She has isolated herself from friendship. She's in so much pain, so much turmoil, so much neglect that she won't even be friends with women anymore. Folks, her story's much more like yours than you ever thought. Jesus finds her alone. Jesus finds her beaten. Jesus finds her neglected. And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, I would give you living water if you asked me. And she gets all religious, thinking that you have to turn religious for Jesus to love you. That's a lie. She thought you had to turn religious for Jesus to love you. And that's a lie. So Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water, and I would give you living water, and that living water would make you never thirst again. Do you understand the message he's trying to convey to her? He's trying to say, if you had what I have to give, you wouldn't be walking in these endless cycles of dissatisfaction anymore. You wouldn't be waking up every morning with good intentions and going to bed with terrible regrets. You wouldn't be going to draw by yourself anymore because you're so ashamed of the hurt and pain that you've been through. You would now be part of a community. You'd be able to walk in somewhere with your head held high. You would have the love of God redefining your identity. You would meet Jesus and in turn be reintroduced to the self that he had designed for you from before the foundation of the world. This woman says, give me water. 
that I may drink. At the end of their conversation, Jesus says this, and I want you to follow the wisdom of this guy. He says, do me a favor. Go tell your husband about our conversation. And she said, ah, here it is, right? This is what every religious person expects when they come to church. Here's the conditions. Here's where I'm going to get the rules laid on me, right? Now's the time that I have to disappoint this man that just offered me life. Go tell your husband. She said, I don't have one. Jesus said, baby, I know you've had five. You know what he's saying? He's not saying that you've been promiscuous. He said, you've been hurt and rejected by five men. And I know that you've been so hurt and rejected that you've given up on love. And the one that you have now is not even your husband. You won't even commit anymore. What he's saying is, I knew everything about you. And my offer still stands. The gospel is good news. <laughs> it's not good instructions. Did you ever think about that? We preach the gospel. It's like, hey, Jesus loves you if, if you turn religious, if you stop doing bad things. Like, that's not the, how the gospel works. It says we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The initiation of love came from love itself. All he wants is you. And he knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. He doesn't care. The care he has is because you're living a life that you were never built for. And he wants you to have righteousness, joy, and peace. He doesn't want you to just behave. There is a quality of life that he's calling you to that is the resurrection that he wants to see you live in every single day where there's an ever-increasing nature of this righteousness, ever-increasing nature of this joy, ever-increasing nature of this peace. And he wants you to have that based on the only foundation that matters. It is that he loved you first from before the foundation of the world. You were found in him before you were ever lost. That's the gospel. If there's anybody here this morning that forgot that, man, I've been at this for 14 years. I've been preaching this message, this grace message for eight, and I have forgotten his desperate, relentless, reckless love for me recently. And the moment you forget how desperately he loves you, guess what you start to do? You start going to the well by yourself. You start isolating from community. You start thinking that nobody could actually love you. You start putting up walls and you won't even love anyone else. And then he invites you full of grace, full of truth, knowing everything about you and still wanting to give all of himself to you. And he puts that invitation in front of your face to come be everything that you were ever meant to be, to come be loved the way you were meant to be loved, to come receive an inheritance that, that was yours before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. And I hate when religious preachers Make that sound like a sacrifice. I don't know if any of you have ever traded a bag of pebbles in for a bag of diamonds, but that's what this is like. Anybody here this morning that feels that today is a day of rededication, would you come forward? Don't be shy. Listen, I walked into church the first time because of my son. 
And I thought because I didn't put money in the offering basket, I wasn't allowed to respond to the altar call. That's garbage. Can we give these guys a hand? Neil, Kelly, Shanda, would you guys come up and, and pray with these guys with us? You guys are amazing. Come on up, brother. This guy's, the, the entire time I'm preaching, I'm looking at him because he's on it. Like, he hears me. You can tell when somebody's light bulbs are going off. I was preaching to him the whole time. Listen, would anyone else like to join them this morning? I want to point out that these two lovely people just took, took over a significant drug and alcohol recovery ministry in town. They are, they are key, key players in eradicating addiction in Tuscarawas County. Would you guys come up and pray for these folks? So just because you came up today doesn't mean you have to get in there, but you're very much welcome to. Is there anybody this morning that's never been baptized that would like to be? Oh, hi. Are you getting baptized today? Yeah? Can I have a hug from you? Thank you. Did you have fun at camp? Good. So can I, can I give you a, like a, just a fundamental look at baptism real quick? Because baptism is, it's got some wild doctrines out there. So baptism super simple. It is a New Testament observation. When, when uh, the chariot, uh, the, the eunuch was riding in the chariot and Stephen came and preached the gospel to him, the moment he heard the gospel, the moment that he understood that Isaiah was about Jesus, he said, there's water right there. What forbids me from being baptized? This is book of Acts stuff. So it's not an Old Testament. It's not a work. It's not any of those things that we like new creationists try to make it. It's not religious. Just like my wedding ring is not religious, and I don't like to reduce it to something like this, but the Bible says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision in his body after he was declared righteous. So it's really important that you understand that Jesus saves, right? And Christ alone. Jesus in baptism is not your Savior. Jesus is. When you put faith in Christ, you were vicariously entered into his death, burial, and resurrection. Everything you were never meant to be was placed in a grave. Everything that you were created to be from before the foundation of the world was made accessible to you through faith in what Christ did. And then he raised you up with him above every principality, power, might, and dominion and sat you at the right hand of the Father. There's an example of this in the book of Exodus when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea, right? It sounds a lot like baptism. But when they come out the other side, they turn around and all of their enemies, the Egyptians, were behind them. And the water closed over those Egyptians so that not one of them survived. When you are in those waters of baptisms, you're, you're announcing that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ made available the life that you were always meant to live, a life of freedom. And it killed, listen, all of your Egyptians. Egyptians. 